Okay, so we're here. There we go. See, we are up on YouTube pretty well. See, Facebook is a little bit behind. Okay. What's up, y'all? See a number of people already in the chat. Welcome to the Onyx Report. All right. What's going on, Maleka? How you doing, man? For life, what's up? Uh, Gold Professor, what's going on? All right. Beezy, Jerome, what's happening? See people still pouring in. 49 people so far in here. So as you're coming in, just go ahead and hit the like button if you're on YouTube, share and subscribe. Um, see, Scott, what's up? Gavin, what's going on? I'm sorry, Gavin. This week we we're on YouTube, so I don't have I don't have a phone line set up on this one yet. Um, what's up, Joe? All right. We see Art New Style. What's going on? Afro Mike. What's the word? BGS. <laughs> you see it? Yeah, I see it. <laughs> um, D, what's going on? All right, people. Um, as y'all know, I usually start with some current events. Um, but before I get into any of the business of today, uh, I just want to shout out my son. This is his 15th birthday today. Okay. So he turned 15. My boy is probably about 6'7 right now. I'm 6'2. So he's looking down on me by at least five inches. And a size, I'd say about a size 20 shoe right about now. So shouting him out on his birthday. How you feel? I feel all right. You want to say hello to everybody right there? What's up, y'all? <laughs> See, they say they're talking to you in the in the comments right there. So you're getting birthday love already. Uh, thank y'all. Thank y'all. Now he only asked, he only asked for one gift. You want to tell him what you asked for? Whoa. You gotta look at them. I asked for Legend of Zelda game, uh, Breath of the Wild for Nintendo Switch. Yeah, that was like 10 minutes ago. But for the last two weeks, what did you say you wanted? Well, I just wanted us all to chill out. Just What are we about to do? About to make it, we're about to make a dragon scale red velvet cake. Right. So that's all he wanted for his birthday. So we're going to do our show today. And then he wants to make a cake with the old man. And that's that's pretty much it. So I just wanted to wish him some birthday love. I wanted you to meet the people that, uh, you know, I'm talking to all the time. And uh, yeah, so you can actually go do your thing. You know, you got some in your account so you can go ahead and pick up your your game uh, through the Xbox and do your thing. So Mm -hmm. happy birthday, son. Thanks. All right. All right, people, Um, we're going to get started. Uh, we're going to do a nice, uh, at least a little hour, but uh, had to shout him out real quick. You might want to open the door first. True, true. So just set That's it down. Probably a better idea. Yeah, there you go. I should also say he got a 3.8 on his GPA first year in high school, so I'm very proud of him. He's doing pretty well. Good? Yeah. All right. See y'all. All right. Good luck, guys. See you later. All right. 
All right. So I appreciate that love, folks. I just wanted y'all to meet my son real quick. Um, shout him out a little bit. Uh, as y'all know, appreciate that unreasonable man. We um, about to do our thing. As you can see, the subject is on black men and protection. Right? And one of the problems that uh, we tend to run across in the black community is this question about whether black men protect. Now, this is kind of intimately tied, even if I don't remember to mention it, mention it uh, to the whole question of neo-COINTELPRO, the question I raised uh, last, I think it was last week. And the reason I raised the issue is we really don't know where these questions are really coming from. A lot of the Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts where I'm seeing just the most egregious, misandrous statements about black men are coming from people with like no followers or questionable followers. It's ridiculous. But that's not to say we don't see real people, both male and female, black folk, who have no problem denigrating black men. I'm not, I'm not at all suggesting that. I'm just suggesting that, I, that some of this vitriol for black men isn't coming from the black community, more than likely. But after several generations of training, several generations of brainwashing, really, even in the academy, there are plenty of people that would call misandry avant-garde, right? It is cutting-edge thinking to talk about black men like they're nothing. And so that said, uh, there are various levels, various waves of what we call anti-black misandry. And we're gonna cover some of that uh, tonight in this question of you know, what exactly is going on. Uh, but just a couple of quick things uh, that I wanted to point out in, current, in terms of current events. Uh, so let me, let me see if I can pull this up well enough here so bear with me for a moment eric what's going on i see you in there hmm okay so these are completely at random but as y'all can see this is one of the first current events to point out right i appreciate that black Uru strikes so we got this whole issue of Janelle Monet stepping in, uh, possibly as MCU Storm. Um, eh, not exactly excited for this uh, in general. Not really liking the direction the MCU was going in. And I can definitely say their treatment of the character of Black Panther was already problematic. It sold really well. People really loved it. But y'all have heard me say this, and I've written an extensive film review of the Black Panther on my blog, uh, newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com. Uh, my piece up there on the Black Panther, one of the things I suggest is, you know, they took his intelligence from him. And this is particularly frustrating for generations of Black men who've been waiting to see the Black Panther on screen since the 1960s. Black men who fought in the comic industries for Black males to have a place. And, you know, now we've been taught to think of that as inherently um, misogynist or sexist, but at the end of the day, there were there are industries that that target girls. There are industries that target boys, right? When I was growing up, I'm an '80s kid, so I grew up playing Transformers and He-Man, and and I watched GI Joe and Thundercats. For the most part, you know, I watched the things that were targeted at boys, but there were things targeted at girls. I got a younger sister; she's a professor, but you know, she's three years younger than me. She watched the things that targeted girls. You know what I mean? They had Strawberry Shortcake. They had Barbie. You know, She-Ra. She had her shows. I had my shows. They had comic books for men. They had other things for, for women or, or males and females. It is what it is. That said, um, when you talk about the Black Panther, you're talking about a character that, although been invented, invented by whites, 
right? Stan Lee in particular. It was many of the, the most pertinent stories about the Panther were written and drawn by black artists, right? Artists that, that pushed uh, for stories that invoked the black community, invoked justice, invoked masculinity in different ways. And what they did is they really emphasized the brilliance of Black Panther. His superpower, his main superpower was his brilliance. So by the time we get to the first movie, they gave his intelligence to his younger sister. This would be akin to giving Superman's strength to Lois. Not the same character, right? And when you factor in a character like Janelle Monet, who I think has some serious problems with misandry, I'm not particularly excited about this kind of thing, right? Especially her recent comments about Black men. At the end of the day, um, if she's going to call for Black men to be removed from hip hop, I'm waiting for her to recall Black women from engaging in filmmaking that denigrates Black men. And we can take it back to the color purple and bring it on upward. So I'll listen to you about Black men and hip hop when you can talk to me about Black women and filmmaking. But that aside, and we ain't even got to the Academy yet. Um, that's just one of the things I kind of wanted to bring up. Uh, let me see if I can find the other um, because it was particularly, uh, where'd she go? Hmm. All right. Let's see how I can do this here because I have it. Okay. It's on a separate website. So let me find out how to bring it up on screen. And that's interesting. It's not up for me to do that with. But I think I might have figured out a way to go about it. So bear with me for a moment. Uh, if you missed it earlier today, Green Gorilla um, had an interview with Dr. Ronald Neal. That was incredibly important, incredibly informative. If you haven't checked it out, please do so. Uh, they broke down quite a bit. And I think it's definitely worth a look, again, if you haven't seen it. Uh, next piece of just information I thought was interesting, right? You can see here, white woman who attacked police officers uh, with firebomb blamed black man for giving her the materials until her, until her white accomplice confessed. Um, they had a, a picture of her uh, that showed up on the Facebook page, but I don't see it in the actual article. Uh, nevertheless, go check it out. Very interesting piece. Um, you kind of see what they're doing. And this is something we've seen over the years, right, where they can invoke this random black male entity, and that somehow serves as enough of a, a deflection from their own actions to attack black men, right? So um, Seventh Project, appreciate that support. Thank you. Um, let's see. Let's see. Roguish the Billmonger, appreciate that. Mega Montana, thank you for the support. All right. Um, let's see. What's up, Bowman? How y'all doing? Uh, yeah, for life, yes. Janelle Monet is definitely a part of the intersectionalist feminist crowd. So the denigrating of black males, this, the kind of um, um, subtle denigration of masculinity as a whole is definitely... Um, part of her thing, right? So it's something we kind of get from her uh, quite a bit in different forms. Um, I even did a review of the film she did um, 
a number of years ago. Uh, what was it called? Um, oh my goodness. Um, hidden, uh, was it not hidden colors? What am I? Hidden figures, hidden figures. And I had some critiques even of her, just her performance and her character, um, as well as the film itself. Again, that's also on the blog, uh, newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com. Check into that critique of hidden figures and some interesting things in there, but even some specific to Janelle, Janelle Monet. So I've had problems with her for a minute, and I'm not particularly thrilled about what they're doing with her character now or what she's doing with her self as a character and how that tends to play into black males. Um, so anyway, that said, um, check those out if you're at all interested. Um, yeah, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. My head has definitely been, uh, my memory's been shot lately, but, uh, uh, let me see. I'll put the link for the general blog in the comments, um, on YouTube. So for those who are interested in checking those out. I stopped writing on there because I started doing the radio show and the, the online video show that we're in now, uh, but I've kept those pieces available. So check them out. Gold Professor, appreciate that. All right. So um, we're going to get to this issue of accusations of non-protection. There have been a couple of shows where I posted some of the tweets and things that, that um, I've seen um, denigrating black men you know, tweets that supposedly highlight how we're all oppressors and deviants and how we're trying to hurt the community and particularly oppress women and, you know, these kind of narratives that, that seem to be popular. And I can say, having been in the academy since 1992, I've seen that uh, really snowball, right? The idea of very idea of Black men became synonymous with these ideas about attacking uh, black women in particular, and and it's it's merely grown. Uh, it's something I start I started to see in the 1980s when I was a kid. Um, definitely during the Oprah era, but it's definitely kind of taken on its own dimension. And so I'm not going to post any more of those tweets. And brothers have been sending them to me, and I appreciate that. But I'm not going to show them at this point. I've showed them on a couple of different shows. The last one I did on Neo Pro, and then uh, the one I think I did on. Um, you know, stop playing with black male deaths. Um, you can check those out if you want to see them. I'm sure for my audience, many of you see them every day, right? They're quite common at this point. Um, but they all range around the same kind of basic ideas that kind of go into one of the more subtle stereotypes about black men we don't talk about. Like we talk about the Sambo, we talk about, um, you know, the, the Mandingo. We talk about a number of the stereotypes, the Uncle Tom that have been popular since slavery. But one of the underlying themes to some of the stereotypes is this underlying idea of cowardice. And this is something we actually see with Asian male stereotypes as well. It's this idea that against white masculinity, Black men in particular are particularly um cowardice. And it's interesting because this is put up against other black stereotypes uh, like the brute, where black men are too uh, unintelligent and brutish, right, to be cowardice. They're actually animalistic and savage. But, you know, there's still this idea, particularly when you talk about black men in the North, black men born free during the slave era, slave era this idea that they were less than men. So in slavery, they were savages that needed to be corralled and used uh, for their labor. And if they weren't used properly, they would just be a damage to society where that's where the brute narrative comes in. 
But when you talk about it in the North, um, they were really incapable of understanding Northern culture. They were ineffectual outside of slavery. They were unintelligent. The most they could do is mimic intelligence. This is something we see um, with the counterpart of um, the Jim Crow stereotype, uh, which had to do with the, um, you know, actually, this is something Green Gorilla has reminded me about that, you know, because of the, the beauty of the internet, and I can actually pull up some of the things that I use in class um, to show you guys. So we can apply some, some visuals to some of this. So uh, let's actually do that. Mm hmm. So I will show you the very images that I use in class to break down some of this, um, particularly when we're covering the, the history of stereotypes and the history of these images and how they're used, how they were used, and really in many ways still are. Right. Um, Here. Okay. There we go. All right. So let me go ahead and share that one. Slow as I'm going, believe it or not, this is is this is much faster than it used to be. All right. Um, okay. So I think we just go up there. Let's see if we can, not what I wanted. All right, so this here is one of the images I use to explain uh, the Jim Crow Sambo figure on the left, uh, Mr. Tambo in the center, and the Zip Coon on the right, right? And so basically what I point out is that, you know, the, the Sambo and the Zip Coon were counterparts. They were um, two sides of a coin, right? The Sambo image basically made the argument that without slavery, uh, we were basically unproductive and if anything, potentially dangerous, right? And if we didn't have the institution of slavery, society would probably fall apart because we would be crazy and we would tear it apart, so on and so forth. So the thing with, that you get with the Sambo figure is that he's entirely addicted to pleasure, sex, alcohol, music, dance, anything but work. Right. So this was the idea. Now, the Zip Coon, on the other hand, was born in the north. So the Sambo was born into slavery. The Zip Coon was born in the north. He was born uh, free. He had he attended school, but he really just, you know, mimics intelligence. He doesn't think for himself. He overdresses for every occasion. You see him in a tuxedo. Um, I think in many ways, the Uncle Ben kind of image kind of lends to this, uh, which so him overdressing means that he doesn't really understand the social mores involved. And in that, he was also ineffectual and less than a man in, in that traditional sense. Right. So it, with that idea, the, the whole notion of cowardice comes into play in regard to black men. Right. This is this is one of the ways that we're we're seeing in society as being less than um, men. So we are primarily a threat, but nonetheless, men, uh, less than men at the same time. 
So the, the kind of current feminist, um, black feminist, I should say, uh, critiques of black men being ineffectual and not providing and so on and so forth really depend on many of these old stereotypes of black male savagery and cowardice, right? And they make the argument that we don't protect. Um, now, before I show examples that contrast that idea, what do we mean by protection? Or at least what should we mean by protection, right? Um, we talk about physical protection as the first uh, you know, basic notion of what that means. Right. Physical protection, meaning that uh, black men are too cowardice to physically step in and protect particularly black women. Um, even though we live in a system that's based on chivalry, and a lot of people don't talk about this, where the protection by men is considered a, a how do we put it, a public right. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it's, it's almost like a, a publicly owned practice that uh, men themselves should not have anything to say about it. It's just expected. You know, some of the MRAs call it being an, uh, an unpaid bodyguard, right? And it's a, it's a it's a social expectation. And I've seen it my entire life. Uh, whether it's a woman, in particular, women and children I've never met before, it doesn't matter. I am expected to put my life on the line to protect them at the slightest whim, slightest need. And for the most part, black men do. Darius, appreciate that support, man. Right. We, we do. And, and that's something that tends to go uh, unknown. But something to think about is that protection on a physical level, too, is classed. Right. It's classed very differently. If we live in an environment where violence is somewhat rampant. Yeah. I'm going to be expected to protect with my hands. I'm going to be expected to protect by weapons. Y'all know I got that locked down, even though those are just the symbolic showpieces. Um, but I'm, I'm expected to protect on a physical basis. Middle class men protect differently. Right. Middle class men move their families because they can afford to to areas where violence is not as much an issue. That's a form of protection. Right. So just on just a physical safety level, class plays into how we even define um, the tactics used to protect. Um, then you got in terms of like particularly, you know, men um, in a decision making capacity in a relationship, let's say uh, men protect in a very different way. They provide guidance. One of the best examples of this I can point to on YouTube is probably Kevin Samuels. If you look at Kevin Samuels, the way he engages callers, one of the things he does, I mean, so Kevin Samuels, for those who may not know, please go check out his channel. He's, um, you know, he, he's a life coach. He's an, an image consultant, um, brilliant cat. But one of the things he does is he engages callers, usually women, about relationships. And he'll ask you basic questions that in the red pill community are pretty straightforward, you know, in terms of sexual marketplace value. How tall are you? How much do you weigh? What age are you? So on and so forth. But one of the questions that he asks that we don't hear a lot about from other people is, uh, is your father in your life? And what role does he play in your dating and decision making in regard to that? What he's alluding to is the role that men play in a decision making capacity. Right. Whether as fathers, but also even as lovers and husbands. Right. And and helping to make life choice decisions that lead you to a solid, dependable situation. That's a form of protection. Right. That's a form of protection. Now, it actually begins with fathers, which I would refer to in this in terms of fathers is more of a responsibility based, um, you know, patriarchal type of protection. And patriarchy isn't, you know, just men coming in and beating and oppressing women. No, patriarchy can simply mean that as the decision making 
maker, a father will make decisions in the best interest of those that he's um, required or expected to protect, more particularly those he chooses to, which is most often family and loved ones, right? And by the way, nobody has a problem with patriarchy when the shit goes down. Nobody. You know, just like there are no atheists in foxholes, nobody has a problem with patriarchy when it's needed, right? So in that regard, fathers stepping up, making life choices and decisions uh, that are protective in nature is protection. Protection isn't just physical. That's the point I'm getting at. And men who are not fathers, who may be intimate partners with women, provide the same kind of thing. So when you see Kevin asking those questions, you know, he's actually playing a protective role, believe it or not, with women he doesn't even know. By even letting them know that these are things that you should ask, these are things you should think about, is a protective gesture. So there are ways of protect, protecting that aren't necessarily hands-on. Another level of protection is financial protection. Now, this is something that I urge men to take very seriously, think very carefully about, uh, especially when you start working with contracts like marriage. Um, you could end up having that blow up in your face. But if you do take, if you do make the decision to take financial responsibility for a, a woman, for her kids, whatever that is, that's a form of protection. That's a form of protection. Now, even though, statistically speaking, black men make less than black women when you factor in incarceration, right? Uh, we are less consistently employed. Nevertheless, the social expectation is that men still provide and protect in that regard. And many of us do, because there are still many of us that actually make more than our female counterparts, and it is what it is. So at the end of the day, taking financial responsibility for another person and or their household is another form of protection. Right? Presumably the decisions made in terms of that are going to be made in the best interest of that family and they're not going to be whimsical. They're not going to be momentary. They're going to be dependent upon you know, the base needs that any household has. Um, and so that said, that's another form of protection that men are socially expected to provide but are not credited for even when they do. And I'm speaking as somebody who's done it. Right? So financial protection is another level. And then lastly, I would kind of label it somewhat militaristic, you know, protection. And you'll see some examples of that in a minute. That is one of the other ways we tend to define male protection in a general sense. And I've only covered a couple. I've only covered a couple. I'm sure in the chat, you know, men can definitely weigh in on a variety of different types of protection I haven't even named when it comes to women and family. But this idea of masculine protection is often kind of boiled down to individual, I'm going to protect you with my hands, or I'm going to show up with my boys with guns. As much as that is protection, there are a lot of ways to protect, and, and men have been doing that since the beginning of time. So it is what it is. Um, but I do want to say, before I get to these examples of protection, there's a cost. Protection is not extended for free. There was a time period where we had a basic understanding that the men, that men's resources and women's resources in relationship contexts were exchanged mutually, right? There was a give and a, and a take, and the idea was that for the most part, if you could, you know if you if you're in a, in a in a, I guess we would call it a negotiation with a man and a woman trying to decide on how to engage their relationship and what steps to take. Um, you know, women often talk about extending, you know, their presence, you know, their companionship, um, 
you know, being willing to come in and provide a certain type of emotional support, help with kids, so on and so forth. Uh, the domestic space kind of being covered, it's long since been associated with femininity. And we can talk about that uh, on a variety of levels. But nonetheless, these are things that, you know, women have touted for years. But one of the things I noticed is that we downplay what men's contributions to that arrangement was, right? We talk about provisioning, we talk about protection, we talk about providing security. A lot of the times when we talk about security, we think of it only in terms of money, right? But protection, provisioning, security, those are things that extend way beyond just cash, right? And when a father asks you as a young teenage or asks a young teenage daughter why she's leaving the house dressed that way and tells her to go change, that's protection, right? When you're leaving for college and your father wants to make sure that you're living in a safe environment and, and decides to move you from one to another because that one doesn't feel, that's protection. You know what I mean? Protection can take many different forms and men have engaged it for years. But the cost of that protection at the very base level is two things, respect and cooperation. If men don't get respect or cooperation for their provisioning, for their protection, they withdraw. Because I can't protect you if, if you're not going to cooperate. If the things that I do to protect you, you openly fight against simply because they extend from a man, they're coming from a man, I can't protect. And that's the point we've gotten to because we've had anywhere, I mean, at this point, I'd say four to five decades of this culture of misandry where the very idea of male protection, the very idea of male guidance, male direction is dismissed and viewed as inherently problematic, inherently oppressive, even when it's done in service to women and girls. This is where we've gotten to. So even fathers have difficulty prote uh, protecting. This is, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out Kevin because he's really doing um, an incredible job over there on his channel. One of the discussions that I just watched him have a few days ago, and I posted this on Facebook, he pointed out, I want to say about three things in one conversation he was having with a woman he had never met. He was she called into his show. And in that she did all three of these things. I think at one point she was over talking him. Right. She was verbally combative. You know, everything he said, she disagreed with. Every time he asked a question, she, she wouldn't answer it, but would answer whatever question she felt like answering. Right. It, it, these kind of things are inherently kind of disres disrespectful, but particularly disrespectful to men who are actually protecting. Right. So it's one thing to say this to just some random stranger on the street, but to say this to somebody who's actually trying to protect you is, is contrary to the very cost of male provisioning, male support. The cost of that male support is respect and cooperation in exchange for protection and protection, again, being uh, functioning on a variety of levels. OK, so that being said, uh, Malika, I appreciate that. Um, Big Biz, uh, appreciate that. <laughs> he said, Big Biz says, did I mention protecting your daughter's chastity? I alluded to it in terms of, you know, monitoring how she's dressed, who she's associating with. But absolutely, because that has everything to do. I mean, look, you know, whether it's STDs, getting pregnant too early, what that can do to your life choices. There are all kind of reasons that fathers are going to do that kind of thing. And even 
those who step into a stepfather kind of role, even if you're not officially married to the woman. You know what I mean? I've been in several relationships where, for the most part, I began to see her kids as my own on one level or another. Right. And I tried to step in and protect. But again, if I get too much resistance and you want to fight me, hey, okay. I'm not going to fight you over that kind of, you know, to control, to come in and protect. But usually the problem that happens with that is when stuff, something goes down, everybody turns and looks at you. It's like, look, if you're going to fight me, I can't do that. So you either let me protect and extend the basic cooperation and respect that comes with that, or you do it yourself. But don't look at me when it goes down. So anyway, that being said, that's the cost of respect. But let's look at some of the examples of protection. Now, I this is a folder... I literally just put together a few moments before the show. And I say that on purpose to point out that there are plenty of other examples. Um, these are just uh, kind of random. Hold on, let me. Some of these I'm gonna get to in a moment. So. Bear with me. All right. So let's see. Let me go ahead and share this. All right. Let me see if I can enlarge this here. All right. Now, I, I point out some of these um, for different reasons than what we might actually see uh, as the title of the articles or whatever. It's not really about that. I'm pointing out what, you know, many people overlook. All right, let me see here. Um, ah, Kalila, how you doing? Glad you watched Kevin's show. It's definitely enlightening. Unreasonable man. Thanks for that help. Getting the word out. Um, Beasy. Right. The TI situation. It wasn't it wasn't something that everybody liked. It wasn't popular in, 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 the, in the main sphere. But at the end of the day, it was a father protecting his daughter. Right. And what goes on in, within a family it is what it is. Hey, Pop, how you doing? I uh, see him in there. All right. Um, all right. So the image I have on the screen, as you can see, the title USA Today, young black voters say they aren't enthusiastic about Joe Biden. That's not why I'm posting this here. Who do you see in the picture? Right. Who do we see? Aren't these the same black men that people have been saying don't protest, don't participate, even though nobody wants to talk about the fact that your mere presence as a black male at a protest is is far more endangering to you than anybody else there. We're not supposed to talk about that, though. Right. I've had arguments with and, and, and I've been I've participated in, in marches since I was 16. Uh, so it's not new. I've, I've organized them and I've thrown them myself. But at the end of the day, the one thing I've noticed nobody wants to admit is that when black men show up in at least equal numbers as women at protests, the police show up in riot gear. I have been to majority female protests. I've seen the police not bother to show up at all. And if and when they did, I've seen them cordon off the streets so the march can continue, even though the march wasn't filed with the city in any kind of formal way. They're blocking off traffic to allow for the march. But when black men show up in equal numbers, all of a sudden the military grade equipment comes out. But nobody wants to talk about that. 
So I get calls from people saying, well, why don't black men show up to protest? You guys, you, you guys are never there. And I'm like, wait a minute. First of all, every protest I'm looking at, I'm seeing black men present. There was even a video. I was trying to find it today, but it was too far back in my Facebook timeline of a, a, when New York jumped off a couple months ago, maybe a month and a half ago. And the men were physically fighting with the police while yelling out for the police to not physically assault the women present. But we're not there. I would argue we are there, even though it's more life threatening for us than it is for others. And I'm going to say it. I don't care if people like it or not. It is what it is. But that's the reality of it. I've seen people go to protests, particularly black women, and say things like, OK, I'm going to get arrested today. And then when I get out, I'm going to pick up my kids and then I'm going to cook them dinner. And then tomorrow I'm going to do this. And I'm sitting there going. If I get arrested, I have no idea whatsoever if I'd be able to get out, let alone tell you I'm going to be out by five o'clock. I might be in for several weeks. No idea. All right. So anyway, one of the things I'm seeing is black males present in protest. That is a form of protection, by the way, even though we, we seem to act like it isn't. All right. OK, uh, this is not letting me scroll through. There we go. All right. Some of you guys may have seen this one. Right. This was a white dude. White racist white man spits on and attacks a black woman in Kentucky. And from there, black male jumps up and literally beats him down. Right. Non-Negus, I'm doing this at my speed, so it is what it is. Right. So another form of protection. Right. But we're not there. This thing won't let me. There you go. Uh, let's see. Now, this is another article cover, as you can see. This is uh, this is actually an article I want you guys to check out if you haven't already. Uh, this is Nyota Ohura. I've had her on the show, um, and she's writing. Uh, she's actually been been interviewed about um, some of the things she talked about on my show in regard to BLM and whatnot. But nonetheless, check the article out if you can on RT.com. Veteran activists have called out BLM as a tool of Democrats from day one. But that aside, even just looking at the image, I'm seeing black males present, right? But we're not there, right? Okay. Um, I'm wondering why this thing won't let me this is frustrating. I wanted to scroll through, but it's not letting me. Damn it. There you go. All right. Some of you guys have seen Stone Mountain. You know the deal. All right. All right. Stone Mountain Memorial Hall. Brothers showed up armed. All negus. We're going to get there. Exactly. We're going to get there. Right. I'm providing the, this information most particularly for black men that find themselves in debates. This is I get black men that call me and they'll, they'll be at a family reunion. They'll be at a family gathering in debates with black female family members 
who are coming up with the same rhetoric that we don't protect, we're not present. And I'm trying to provide you with the material to make your argument because it is there. As you can see, more black men, armed black men show up to hearing on Confederate statues to protect black women. Now, these are again, these are the ones that make the news. Don't get it twisted. We've been doing this for centuries, whether we made the news or not. Right. I believe this is the same incident that I believe that definitely is the same gentleman. This is another incident. This is a, a little while ago, but this is uh, dealing with uh, some of those nail salon incidents. And there were a couple of different ones. Black men showed up to physically protect. The interesting thing about it is when I see this happen, I don't really see any mention or acknowledgement that black men do protect. I only hear when they don't. But nonetheless, if you dig for it, the evidence is there, black men protecting. And, they, and I've seen this happen at least five or six times. Uh, this is just the one example I pulled up, right? This is actually taken off a video uh, that I did post to my Facebook page. And in this video, you can only see her legs in this particular picture. This woman was shot in the face, in the eye, actually, with a rubber bullet. And she was taken to the hospital um, and brought in, right? But she was taken to the hospital by a group of black men who were present at the protest with her. Snatched her up, put her in a car, drove her to the hospital. Any acknowledgement of that? No. But nonetheless, that's where she was. Right? I didn't have the link here. I apologize. But if anybody needs it, you can um, you can message me and I'll find it on my page. Uh, it was a little while ago. Um, this is related to uh, here. Let's just start with this one. My boy Terrain Walker on Twitter posted this. Shout out to the black men in Milwaukee who rescued girls from an alleged sex trafficking house, then burned the house to the ground. The media and some of our own people won't acknowledge this, but that was real community policing, right? And what he's referring to, this thing keeps going away, so I'm just going to keep flipping it until I get it to do what I want. So what he's referring to is this image here. Apparently, um, damn it, that's frustrating. There we go. What the hell? This is irritating. I apologize. So this is the Milwaukee Police Department trying to find a brother who was said to have been responsible for burning the house down. Tarian, you already dealt with it in your live stream? Put the live stream link in the in the, in the chat if you would. Um, Mike V, don't forget about the brother in Florida who defended the sister over a parking space and ended up taking a bullet in the chest and died. Absolutely. No appreciation, though. Let me put that one up on the screen. Absolutely. Right? Okay, we got another one for life. Makes a statement about a black man knocking out a white guy in Chicago for walking up on a black woman. Right? See, there's all kinds of these examples. But strangely enough, they're not really prominent in the media, right? But this black male apparently burned the house down that was said to have been um, used as far as that. Right? Sex trafficking situation. All right, so what do we got here? All right, shout out to my boy Eddie Miles. Uh, sent this to me on June 23rd. So this was a couple years ago, um, but here African Americans march against gun violence in Chicago, and yet um, more black men present, despite that they are not acknowledged for being so. Some of you may have seen this one. 
Um, Chicago community activists demand killers turn themselves in after child um, teens slain. This is uh, this was fairly recent. This one was uh, fairly recent. And I saw a couple of these. Right. Where you actually have black men um, out there supporting uh, when the violence kind of went down in different cities and these and it's been happening across different cities. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that this is just uh, what they've been labeling it as gang activism. I'm not activism, uh, gang violence. I think there's more going on than that, but nonetheless, black men supporting. Here's another one that a number of people sent me, including again, my boy, Eddie, um, says you're gonna need to watch this a few times because it's the best thing on the internet right now. This was June 20th. Uh, the naming of schools is not the same thing as the statue debate. The name of the schools our black children attend is, sim- sim- is sim- symbolism that matters because it goes beyond symbolism and psychological warfare. So this is a brother who came in and began to read the room of administrators, right? And challenge them. This is on my page. You can scroll back for those of you on my Facebook page. Uh, you can scroll back to June 20th. You can find that post if you haven't seen it. Very powerful talk this brother gave uh, contradicting the administrators. You know what I'm saying? So again, black men protecting in a variety of different forms, right? Um, Gun owners plan pro-Second Amendment walk in Oklahoma. More black men protecting. But this doesn't happen, right? And black men have also been doing this, you know, in silence for generations. Uh, As you can see, this is the image I use to advertise the show. Um, You know. So we're seeing these things. And and this one I brought up just to shout out the FOI, um, just as I would the Black Panther Party and a number of other organizations in the late 60s and early 70s that were, uh, particularly the early 70s, that were about protection, community protection. But we didn't always have names for it. We didn't always have a standard uniform for it. We didn't always have those things. And yet, Black men still did it. All right whether they were acknowledged for it or not. It kept happening. And yet, no mention of them. And it's interesting to note that they're still around. Okay. Hmm. But let's get to the core of it. So I've shown you examples of how this protection thing is not real. It's a racket. It's an argument that is unsubstantiated. But what is it really about? Well, at the end of the day, um, it's an unanswerable question because no amount of evidence I show will ever be enough. No amount of evidence. I can I can keep going for days with these images. And there are people that are just going to make the argument over and over again that uh, it's not really happening. So that said... What is this really about? Well, the denigration of black men is very particular and it's very purposeful. Um, let me see. Oh, I'm sorry. Mike, you said, did you send the video from Al Jazeera about Feminister Jones and Kimberly Crenshaw about misogyny within BLM? Did I send it? Oh, I think you are you talking to somebody else? Not nah, because I haven't seen it. So if you have it or BGS has it, uh, send it to me if you get a chance. 
Okay, I definitely like to check that out. Uh, but anyway, as far as what the motivation really is, it really comes down to a very targeted misandry. And the purpose of this misandry to denigrate black men uh, highlights, again, black female victimization and makes the argument that if men don't and can't protect, then they need to be protected by other means. Right? And if they can just be provided the resources, they don't need black men to do it, especially since black men are not willing to do it themselves. This is the subtext to the argument, right? That's the subtext to it. It really has nothing to do with what black men are actually doing or not doing because black men have never stopped protecting. It may be a question of whether or not we make the news for doing it, but that's irrelevant. We've actually never stopped doing that. But the, the black family structure has changed since the 1970s and that does impact protection. But again, that's not something that black men solely decided. In many ways, it was a response and, and, and a survival-based response. And this is something Dr. Neal dealt with earlier on Green Gorilla's interview, where he talked about so, uh, the survival mechanism involved with Black men making decisions that they made. Since the 70s, I've called how Black men have responded to the Black family, the changes in the Black family. I've called it a, a silent strike. And that's because when you talk about the impact of the family court, when you talk about the impact of no-fault divorce, what we're looking at are institutions weighing in on how the black family is structured and what women are able to do using the state in ways that are devastating to black men, especially black men that don't have much. So that kind of devastation has, has really forced black men to make strategic decisions about marriage, for example, because at the end of the day, marriage came with consequences that many of us didn't have the means to, to deal with. So in that regard, Protection de definitely changes because presence for black men had to be negotiated along new lines. But that doesn't mean black men didn't protect. What it means is in many ways we move to what I call a transfamilial model, meaning that black men took responsibility even for families that weren't their own. Whether we served as coaches, as, as barbers, whatever roles we played in the community, black men still found ways to support others even if they weren't biologically theirs. It's a transfamilial kind of model, right? 319 watching on YouTube, please hit the like button. Please support the channel. Um, if you haven't already, uh, please make sure you do. From what I can see, uh, we are at 203 likes. So let's please get that up if you will. I would greatly appreciate that. All right. So that being said, black men have always been protecting, but the nature of how we've protected and what strategic decisions we've had to make had to adapt itself to the times because the conditions that influenced us and impacted us changed. So we've talked about the role of deindustrialization in the 70s. We talked about the war on drugs in the mid 70s, definitely through the 1990s and the impact it had on black males. And yet and still, we've always still had black men that have done what they could. But, you know, the question I've asked is, are black men protected? This is an interesting thing, because in the last couple of years, what I've started to hear is this kind of ongoing trope that black men are being protected and black women are not. Right. Black men are being protected. Uh, black males across age. Dead set and uh, anime. Appreciate that support. Um Appreciate the cash out. 
Um, Aquateki and Anwar, appreciate that support, cash out. Um, this idea that black women are protecting cowardly black men who do not, who do not return the service. This is one of the things I'm seeing in social media. And I said this uh, before, it's gotten to a point where um, it's almost such that we're expected to thank black women for their service in terms of activism as if black men have no activism at all. And suddenly the definition of activism is strictly about street protest as if there aren't any other forms of activism. And let me be clear, being a coach to a little league team or, you know, a, a Pop Warner football team, that's activism. Setting up an organization for young black males, setting up, uh, I don't care if it's an initiatory organization, if it's a rite of passage organization, if it's a social support organ, that's activism. Being a big brother, remember these the, the, people used to have big brother, you served as a big brother, that's activism, right? Hell, even when I was a kid, the pimps and gangsters on the street might pull you aside, give you $5 and give you some game on life. Guess what? That's protection. You know, it, black men have found a variety of ways to do this because the traditional models that work for other groups don't always work for us. I myself have been at protests knowing I had a warrant out on me because I didn't pay my traffic ticket. So what happens if I get arrested? Right. What happens if I'm in a situation where the police threaten the woman I'm with, especially if we're intimately involved? Who does she look to to do something about it? And what happens to me if I do? Right. Those kind of things. Black men have negotiated and dealt with for decades, for generations, and we always have. And it has nothing to do with whether every single black male has dealt with it perfectly, but simply that that's something that we've had to grapple with, whether folks want to acknowledge it or not. But what I want to talk about are some examples of how black men are not protected and whether or not we actually care. Um, and these are truly random these are truly random. As a matter of fact, some of these, um, I don't know if I'm going to go through all of them, but um, at the end of the day, I'm going to go through a few and do what I can to uh, kind of get some of this up. So we're going to go through a couple of examples of how even though black men do provide protection that we don't get credit for, we are often not protected ourselves. All right. Demographic Characteristics of Custodial Parents by Child Support Award. Now, why would I put this up? All right. All right. All right. So we can obviously see when it comes to child support, if we go down here where we look at the black population, out of about 3,393 families, 37.4% uh, were awarded um, child support. All right. 64.5% of those were due child support. The average amount of child support is $3,601. Average income, $29,711. So thanks to the work we have from, um, from Tone and Yvette, we know the Black family is worth, what, $1,700 without depreciating assets. How does this affect Black men? who are overwhelmingly, as males are usually across the board, um, you know, as we can see, it's far more women than men that are getting child support. How does this impact black families, right? How does this impact black men in particular who are overwhelmingly responsible for paying child support, even though uh, they are not the recipients of it? They generally don't ask for it as much, 
and don't often have the means to cover the amounts that uh, the family courts will designate that they should. Uh, shout out to Brent, uh, Brandon for the Venmo contribution. Uh, hold on. So when we get to it, if you look at the article by Collier Meyerson entitled um, uh, How Our Racist Child Support Laws Hurt Poor Black Fathers the Most, it's, uh, it's, it's stated in that article, the government, according to Pate, is owed $115 billion in child support, but 70% of that is money owed by Americans who make less than 10000 per year, right? Less than 10000 per year, $115 billion. That's what we see. Those are the people most responsible for child support. Right. I think I've told you guys this before. I have a stepfather in his 70s. He's still paying child support on my stepbrother. My stepbrother is one month younger than I am. He's still paying child support. And the illest part, his ex-wife, my stepfather, my stepbrother's mother, she passed away about 20-something years ago. Still paying it to the state. Right. He himself shines shoes for a living. See, we're not talking about wealthy men, right? But this is what we're dealing with. Um, okay, so black men and whether or not we are protected. Let's go on to the next one. You look at the top 10 causes of death in the black community. And those of you who watch my show regularly know I cover this um, often. Every year I update this information. I also have the charts on black women and you can see comparatively how I live. And I compare them for a reason. I'm not comparing them to denigrate black women. I'm comparing them to show how if things were just black problems, they would be pretty much the same between men and women. But because they're so radically different between black men and black women, they're not just black problems. They are particularly influenced by gender, right? So in this regard, if you look at the far right and you see the all ages, this basically means that everything from before birth right on the left, all the way to over 85 years old is tabulated in this last column. And in this last column, these are the top 10 things that black men die most from, from 1999 to 2018. So almost 20 years worth of data, we get to see what we die most from. Heart disease is at the top of the list. And it's only been recently that black men have pushed past black women in terms of overall heart disease numbers. Usually we die off so much so that uh, we die at much younger ages. And so black women tended to die more of heart disease, usually after the age of 55. But in the last couple of this is, I think, the second year in a row, we've actually seen black men dying more from heart disease than even black women. Um, cancer, unintentional injury, which I, I argue probably more than likely includes workplace injury. Um, homicide in the top 10. You will not find that for black women. Right. HIV in the top 10. You will not find that in the top 10 for black women. And you can even see the rates of suicide. Counselor Murray, appreciate that support, right? You see it in the rates of suicide between ages 10 to 44. So what I'm saying to you is in regard to what black men suffer from, who protects us from these? Who protects us from these? Because I'm not seeing the protection, right? Uh, those of you who are on my, actually did not mean to click out of that. So that was my mistake. Um, 
Let's see if I can enlarge this. This is actually uh, something I posted on my Facebook page a while ago. Um, this is actually Gregory Michael Johnston. Apparently, this is a man who molested, uh, allegedly, I guess, yeah, molested an eight-year-old boy, African-American boy at that. Um, you can freeze the screen and read through that if you can. I'll see if I can make it a little larger for you, um, where you might be able to read through some of that. Um, again, I posted this on my Facebook page not long ago. Um, the boy um, that was in his care at his wife's daycare since he was six years old was molested uh, for a while there. This man put a gun to this child and made him perform sex acts until he threw up, sodomized the child repeatedly for years, beat this little boy with something called the golden spoon. Now, I want you to understand something. Black boys have been enduring this kind of treatment for generations. We just don't associate child abuse we don't associate rape with boys. It's been made synonymous with girls, but not with boys. So that said, uh, one of the problems we run into is how to take it seriously when boys are mistreated. Here's another one. Some of you guys might have seen uh, was a Vlad TV interview with uh, former NBA uh, ball player Craig Hodges. Right. Ex-wife dousing him in gas and trying to light him on fire. Seen a lot of protection for that for black men. And if you watch the interview, he's just almost like, you know, like it was nothing. I mean, it's just Tuesday. Like, you know, it, it's when you see him actually talk about it, he's he's indifferent. And many black men I've talked to have been in situations like that. And for them, it's just another day of the week meaning that we've become so used to certain types of abuse, we don't think about it, but it's still abuse, right? This one might've been a story some of y'all missed. Byron Williams died saying he couldn't breathe. Few protested, now his family's fighting for justice. Now I, did, I just chose Brian, but the reality is there are scores of black men, and I say this every all the time, there's two to 300 black men per year killed by police officers. There are about nine black women, right? about nine black women. And so when I hear complaints about black men getting too much attention, the reality is actually the opposite. We may remember, well, you figure by December of this year, we may remember two black men, maybe four, maybe four, but the average person, one or two black men that have been killed this year by cops. That means that there are, more, you know, another... 198 to 298 black men that don't get remembered. Who protects them? Where's their protection? All right. Uh, this was, just to give this some context, I went to a Funkadelic concert last summer. This was underneath a bridge around the corner from the concert. This is in L.A., this is not formally tent city, but this was a tent neighborhood. And I took several pictures as I was uh, driving and before I you know, gave some people what I had in my pocket. But the majority of the homeless in this country, half of it is African-American. But what people don't talk about, well, I should say half the homeless was African-American prior to the, um, the pandemic. Right. And we know rates of homelessness have likely shot up. And they're still likely to do so because as we cruise into August, we're going to see a, a serious impact with these evictions, right? 
But what people don't want to talk about is that from 40 in, in many major cities across the country, 40 to 90 percent of the black homeless has been male. And many of these males have been coming out of prison with nowhere to go. Right. Many of these males. So that said, what we're looking at is, is has been an epidemic for black men for generations in terms of homelessness. This right here. And again, we're talking about who protects black men. So when black men are homeless, who protects them? Exactly. Leg legitimate processor. Exactly. Right. We all we got. This is from a documentary I watched on HBO called True Justice, Brian Stevenson's Fight for Equality. If you're not familiar with Brian Stevenson, at the very least, you can check one of the last movies um, done by um, Michael B. Jordan. He plays Brian Stevenson uh, very recently. But in this particular doc documentary, these jars was were the dirt from where lynchings took place in different parts, I think mainly of the South. Each jar represents a different lynching. The overwhelming majority of these lynchings were male, black males. And overwhelmingly, they were also um, sexually assaulted in the midst of being killed, whether it had to do with being anally penetrated, whether it had to do with the removal of penises and scrotums. These, there was almost always a sexual violation that went along with lynchings. But I ask the question again, who protects black males? So we having these conversations about what black males don't do, but don't nobody want to talk about whether or not black males themselves are protected. This is a drawing I found online by one um, Valerie Castile, right? Philando's mother. This is about Philando Castile. You know, if you're not familiar, Google his name, right? And it says here that he memorized the names and food allergies of 500 kids he fed every day. Parents said he transformed the cafeteria into a cheerful space. He was murdered July 6, 2016. The officer who murdered him was found not guilty. So again, like I did with Brian, question is asked, um, who protects these black men? And, and the reason I chose this particular image was to highlight that many of these black men actually played a serious role in their communities. Who protects them? So I apologize for this being random, but it's random on purpose because I'm just trying to cover a lot of different areas at once. This is a chart I recently posted uh, again on Facebook. Again, if you're not on my Facebook page, feel free to um, to friend me as long as I find you to be at least to the best of my ability, a real human being and not a bot. Um, I will more than likely friend you, most particularly for black males. Um, but as you can see here, the employment population ratio seasonally adjusted 2000 to 2020, uh, looking at the African-American employment ratio, you can see the dramatic drop, dramatic drop of our employment. And for many of you that are on here listening, I know I don't have to tell you anything. But again, what people overlook is before the pandemic in over 30 major cities, Unemployment was up at up to 40 and 50 percent for black males before the pandemic. Right. So in February, one out of two African-Americans lost their job. The recent article I posted on Facebook pointed out, and I mentioned it in a prior show, that now one out of two Americans have lost their jobs. Well, if half of black America lost their jobs in February and now America has lost their jobs you know, within the last month, what does that mean? for where black America stands right now. All right. 
This one has to do with COVID. And I, I took this case, this particular situation, to acknowledge the Black men who have died from the virus, and it's not really addressed. Okay. So as you can see here, uh, this is by Angel. My brother died today. He died alone. He took this virus seriously, but he still caught it. They gave him very little, less than three days time on the vent. I'm angry and hurt. I'm angry that I have to question if he was just another body in a bed. Right? I don't hear much discussion on black males that have died due to COVID, especially if they died alone, some of whom died in their own homes. Right. Nobody cared. Uh, I point this one out to point out how long this has been happening. And again, I ask the question about who cares. Never forget Frank, right? Frank, Frank Embry, tortured, castrated, skinned front and back, lynched, burned alive in front of a cheering crowd, July 23rd, 1889. Do we hear about Frank much? How many black men, even, even if we just did post-Civil War, how many black men who've been lynched do we know the names of? How many? But we give too much attention to black men though, right? Do me a favor, put a one in the comments if you're familiar with Frank, if you knew his name and you've seen his picture before. Put a one in the comment section. Not seeing any. All right. Um, okay, I see a few. Okay, so my system just caught up a little bit. All right. So I see a few. Right. But right, Ken Dog, very few. Very few. All right. This here was uh, something that was shared with me within the last week. This was a gentleman who was apparently suffering from abuse at his home and was trying to find a way out. There we go. Said he needs help, severe domestic violence situation. Wife has physically assaulted him for years. He was filed, he filed police reports and sought law enforcement assistance and even went to court. And according to him, they laughed and didn't take him seriously. Um, she has financially manipulated him, draining all his resources and making his credit go down. He's angry, fed up, uh, needs to needs out before he's provoked to hitting her back, which would ruin his life as men are not allowed to be physical with women without repercussion, even if they are the victim. He wants to he wants rent, rent to rent a room while he works to get his things back in order. But his credit is pretty low, below 550 and his savings have been depleted. He's looking for a room in bedside. Now, I haven't caught an update from the friends that I know who are involved in the situation. So at this point, I'm not necessarily asking that you do anything uh, per se. You know, I can check with them if you're interested in following this up further and see if this has been resolved. But I'm merely pointing out here by showing you this, that there are black men who are trying to navigate situations like this, right? And being laughed at, being dismissed, not being supported. Because the idea in many people's minds, including academics, is that black men can't suffer from abuse. 
Black men can't be abused and they can't be victims. I've heard this from academics, right, who are supposed to study this stuff. And this also happens to youth, right? This doesn't just happen to adults. This also happens to youth. I used to manage a program in Philadelphia um, for juvenile young men. And one of the situations I ran into was a 12-year-old boy whose mother had HIV, who he was taking care of by himself. And he had been sexually molested by a female family friend. And when he went to tell his friends about it, they laughed at him. When he went to a police station, they laughed at him. So he just had to continue on with no support while everybody laughed at him and dismissed him. Right. These are the kind of situations black men find themselves in. Urban Warlock, appreciate that support. You know, these are situations we find ourselves in uh, often with no help. Right. Um, I'm going to skip over a few just to kind of give you all some time here. Damn it. Wrong button. Okay. This is actually a chart extended by one Dr. William Smith. Shout out to him. Hope he's well. He did an excellent uh, presentation. Uh, I was on a panel with him last week where he talked about um, his concept where he's dealing with microaggressions. And one of the things he pointed out were the rates of police stops versus black men. And so here you can see black, Hispanic, white, uh, black women, Hispanic women, white women. And across age, rates of police stops per 1,000. So you got rates, the rates of police stops um, on, the, on one end, and then you have the age spectrum on the other. And overwhelmingly, you see men in their 20s. Um, but really starting in there in there, you know, just after, you know, 10, 12 years old, all the way up to over 60. Look at how much more black men experience being stopped. Appreciate that, P. Burley and Big Biz. Appreciate the support. I absolutely agree. Black men must seek mental health uh, um, um, services. It is imperative. But this is why. You know, there he is. He's in the chat doing beautifully. Uh, the work you put out was amazing, Dr. Smith. Thank you for doing so. But I had to shout you out, man, because this was mind-blowing, right? But this is the kind of thing Black men suffer from. And again, who protects Black men? So we talk about who Black men don't protect, but we don't talk about who they do. Now, I have a more recent chart than this, um, but this was just one that I pulled out. You know, I was kind of, like I said, I, I just really gathered a random a uh, few things just to highlight. So this one is 2000. It's a little older. I have more updated charts, but for the most part, the data is still pretty much the same, right? Incarceration rates per 100,000. Who protects black men? And having a, having a prison, you know, having, uh, you know, served in prison, it's pretty much a scarlet letter these days. So once you have it, it follows you uh, for the most part for the rest of your life in terms of employment in terms of being able to secure housing, things of that nature, right? This is the last one I'm going to put up. I got plenty more, but I think this is the last one I'll do. To, oh, no, there's definitely one more I want to do. I apologize. But anyway, I wanted, I'm, I'm definitely going to show this one. Uh, shout out to my homegirl, Zakia. Um, she has a Sankara Jabbar. She has a, a show she's recently started. You can check my FB timeline to support that. But she, I, I believe she posted this not long ago. And I think it's important that uh, it be seen, right? Ohio school to prison pipeline starts in preschool, right? 
preschool to third grade students, 29,413 out of school suspensions. 100% of preschool suspensions are black male students. When's the last time you actually saw in a statistical breakdown, 100%, 100%. And when I see data put out by groups like the African-American Policy Forum that foregrounds black girls and women, they'll put out charts that say, that state that black girls are suspended at the highest rates. But what they actually mean are black girls are suspended at the highest rates when compared to white girls. But what they're not saying is what black boys experience. 100%. I've not seen that in a chart, right? Yale study found that preschool teachers disproportionately watch black boys for potential behavior 42% of the time. Now I've experienced this even with my son. Now, mind you, my son is in the ninth grade getting 3.8 GPA. He has been at the top of his class since kindergarten, but two weeks into kindergarten, and they wanted me to put him, they wanted to put him in special ed two weeks in. Two weeks in. I came in to meet with the teacher, young white woman. It was a bunch of kids there. They were still playing. I came during the school day. I came in, sat down. My son sat right down next to me. And she said, wow, he can sit quietly like he's some kind of dog. But then she said she wanted to try and talk me into putting him into special ed. Obviously, I didn't let that happen. Within a year and a half after that, he was reading Harry Potter, 700 page book by himself. By first and second grade. How many of our black boys are routed into special ed because teachers don't know how to deal with them and behaviorally has nothing to do with competence or intelligence strictly has to do with behavioral issues. But here's the thing. I used to come in and sit in on those classes and there was nothing that I saw black boys doing that I didn't see white girls doing or white boys doing in the classroom. The difference wasn't in the kids' behavior. The, the difference was in how the teachers addressed it. The white boys, and I'm not talking in abstract, I'm talking about the specific situations I found my son in. The white boys in class who were doing the same thing, the teachers said were not being challenged enough, meaning they were too gifted for the class they were in, and that's why they were acting out and they needed to be promoted. But the black kids who were doing the same thing had behavioral problems and overwhelmingly they were black and men, right? So when we talk about these issues, this is the kind of stuff we're looking at. And my question remains the same, who protects black males? Where's that protection, right? So here's another, I promise you it's only two more. I think it was two, it's either two or three, but here we go. I'm gonna be short, right? This is by, um, Stacey Patton, brilliant scholar, does a lot of work on children and the treatment of children. So if you're not familiar, definitely look her up on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, one of the things she points out in the chart that she posted not long ago, chart on 2017, right? She said, these are the latest child abuse uh, fatality stats by race for 2017. The report also indicates that 15% of perpetrators were fathers. 30% were mothers, 20% were mothers and fathers, and 10% were mothers and a non-parent. I hope you're letting that sink in. We hear that black men are monsters. We hear that black men are boogeymen, that fathers are oppressive and horrible. And yet, let's look at this. 
What are we actually seeing happening? Alfred Davis, appreciate that support, right? All right, Tarian, absolutely. And then when we're talking about an educational setting, then they give black boys drugs that make them even worse than, than they perceived. Absolutely, absolutely, right? But here in terms of child abuse fatalities, we can actually see that it's actually not black fathers that are doing what they are stereotyped to be doing, right? And let's take it further. If we look at African-American, right? And we look at the child population, the only population, the only two populations where you see more kids are Hispanic. So it is 8.5, 8.6 million African-American kids. There's 12.5 million Hispanic kids, 30 million white kids. Those are the only two populations that have more kids than, than black folk. Child fatalities, you find that 416 are black out of that 8.5 million, right? 199 fatalities out of the 12.5 million Hispanic kids, 554 fatalities out of the 30 million white kids. So that means that rate is pretty high. And we know there are environmental issues, particularly like poverty, that definitely influence this, right? But at the end of the day, this is not something that black males are initiating, despite what people want to say. It's not black males doing this, right? It's not. Okay, let's see. Next chart up. This one I've shown before, so I won't spend a great deal of time on it, but I just wanted to bring it back to your uh, memory. Oh, crap. I don't want to send that to the printer. There we go. Uh, so this one actually has to do with um, bidirectional abuse, right? Intimate partner, intimate partner relationships. And one of the things you'll see in this particular chart I have to dig up the paper this was in because, again, I just had this chart in a folder uh, and I did a whole show where I went into more depth on this. Um, so I'm not pulling it out of nowhere. I just didn't uh, before I did the show today, I didn't pull the name of this particular paper out. But one of the things you can see is the uh, for, for the black population rates of bidirectional and unidirectional violence. So bidirectional meaning in an intimate relationship, both the man and woman are being violent with each other or the partners, I should say. And in the unidirectional uh, kind of context, you have one partner being violent to another, and this is broken down on race. So when we look at the black population, right, when we see bidirectional, right, and these are all different studies, you can see the percentage of relationships that are bidirectional, violence going both ways. This is a majority, over 50%, 61%, 67%, 69%, 73%, violence going each way. Now, let's look, look, look at male to female violence, 8%, 12%, 13%. This is the violence going from men to women. Let's look at the violence from women to men, 31%, 20%, 34%. Again, comparatively, when you look at it, but black men are oppressive and dangerous, right? They're oppressive, right? That's what we're told. Okay, last one, and this is not a chart. This is a picture. And this is a picture that uh, was extended to me today by Brother Artisan, Artisan MC. If you're not familiar with his channel, definitely go check him out. Um, 
I want to thank him for this image. This is an image. I want to say he took this picture today. He's in the bay. He was out working. And this is what he saw, from my understanding, not far from his work site. So while people are up here arguing back and forth, making accusations at black men, not being protectors, not being providers, not being fathers, even though the surveys and statistics show that black men are actually the best fathers. The data I'm showing you is that they are not the most oppressive in their intimate partner relationships. They are not being protected across a wide spectrum of issues. Despite all of these contrived arguments, coming from this neo-COINTELPRO framework, meaning that you likely have active agents involved in, in, in defaming Black men. You have people that um, who use these social media accounts, and we don't even know if they're people. And then you have a generation or two that's been socialized into only seeing Black men as failures, only seeing Black men as oppressive um, uh, patriarchs or whatever. Despite all of that that we're hearing, this is actually the reality we are in. This is the reality. In July of 2020, people living out of their cars. This is what we're talking about. Right? People actually packing up their cars. And, and this is something we saw in the last recession, except the difference was, um, it, you know, that was primarily considered a, a real estate based situation where people could no longer afford the homes they bought because they they you know they were given these predatory loans and the payments went up way too far and so I've, I had I've had associates who literally packed what they could in their car and drove off but this is a little different because now we're dealing with a pandemic we're dealing with a massive loss of employment and we are dealing with evictions at an unprecedented rate the reality we're living in especially in black America is people are having to pack up what they have and live on their own Right. So as much as people want to spend their time defaming black men, re-stereotyping black men, using generations old stereotypes and just repackaging them in current uh, kind of forms, current dressings, the reality is we're dealing with something that's far more important. Now, for you brothers that hear this kind of crap that's being thrown at you about black men, I hope some of the data I provided you, you can use to set the record straight. But what I want you to be clear about is once you get past this bullshit debate that really has no substance and that's designed strictly to undermine black men and prevent there from being any kind of unified black context for responding to these situations. When you push all of that bullshit aside, the reality is we are struggling and we are in a far more dangerous situa situation and we need to keep our eye on the ball. So definitely use the information provided to set the record straight on black men, but in the conversation with a reminder of where we actually are in 2020, because the time for games is fucking over. People are struggling and it's about to get real if you ain't noticed. So I'm going to leave y'all with that. I appreciate y'all spending this time with me. I'm going to go cook this cake with my son, celebrate his birthday because I'm proud as hell of him. But I love y'all and I want y'all to definitely um, be careful out there. Um, there is something I wanted to, to kind of end on as well. And it was a quote by Antonio Moore. And it was a response to a question Yvette asked him about what might happen 
if we don't change up what we're doing, especially with black males. And he said, let me be honest. I think eventually black men are going to realize it and turn on everybody because what the system is built on is black men not knowing that they live in a, a different life than everybody else, including black women. They're living a life where they're unemployed, but expected to buy dates. They're supposed to protect and provide like men. They're putting in, uh, they're put in jail at rates we've never seen before. I was talking to an attorney and they said that black men should get together and claim refugee status with another country just to make a political point that nobody cares. The chart that he came up with that has to do with incarceration that I didn't include in this video, he said he came up with a result of realizing nobody had framed this thing according to gender, which makes no sense. Nobody, not even the DOJ, because once you frame it against gender, then black men realize that this is some horrible shit and they might just like raise up on everybody. He said, and when I say raise up, I'm not talking about literally rioting in the street, although we've seen that happen, right? He said, I'm talking about like becoming real despondent, becoming really like, I'm not messing with nothing, no marriage, no nothing, I'm out. Don't nobody care, ain't nobody trading nothing with me. This is the reality that a lot of black men face and those black men reach out to me every day, right? So y'all know how I like to close things out, fellas. We are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, uh, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, innovators, inventors, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you, right? And I would add in what my boy, attorney Dennis Sperling said in regard to knowing when to end a relationship. He said, I would rather adjust my life to your absence than adjust my boundaries to accommodate your disrespect. So with that in mind, brothers, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth, all right? Peace, y'all.